Welcome to a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman coming to you from Blue Wire Studios at the Win Las Vegas. And today we're going to talk about something a little bit different. Something I get asked a lot about. Something that um, I used to talk about quite a bit. It used to get positive feedback and I wanted to run it right back. So here's the idea for today. Uh, a lot of people want to get involved in fantasy sports. And when I mean that, I don't mean playing fantasy sports. I don't mean play uh, becoming a professional DFS player or, or, or gambling for a living. More along the lines of like, hey, I see there's a lot of opportunity here. I want to make this my career. And that's a kind of a completely different avenue than most people want to talk about. Uh, and in the past, when there's been Twitter spaces and I've jumped on and talked about this topic, it's always had such good feedback. And it's something that I get asked about routinely. Literally, I got two emails today. Hey, Rick, I love what you do. I want to do the same thing. How can I do it? And it's such a loaded question. I could talk about it for literally hours. And I guess I'll start talking about it right now. But what kind of sparked all of this is um, Matthew Barry announced that he's leaving ESPN. And I think for most people, Matthew Barry was the first person who made fantasy sports his career and made it successful and carved out an aspect of this world that a lot of people probably didn't think was possible and probably wasn't possible for most 20 years ago. Well, it, it is possible now. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Matt Barry's going to go on to do probably his own thing, right? He's built the brand to a point where he doesn't necessarily need to be associated with a major outlet, but we'll, we'll see. But I think the ripple effects of what he's created uh, throughout the industry are, are not limited to fantasy football. Um, they're, they're across, they're across the spectrum. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of circle it back into that conversation and look at if it's even possible for others to be able to do this, where are the spaces that you should be getting into and what are the best uses of your time and energy? Um, obviously I think at this point we all understand fantasy football is, is way more mature now than it was 10 years ago. Uh, and it's way more mature than the vast majority of, no, than all other fantasy sports, right? If, if fantasy football is in the bottom of the ninth, uh, fantasy golf's in the top of the third, uh, and MMA and F1, the game hasn't even started yet, right? That's kind of where we're at. So most people who send me messages are saying, hey, I like to write, I like to create podcasts, I like to create YouTube videos, I have a job, but I want this to be my career. And that going from having a full-time job in some other industry to making fantasy sport, for, sports your career is a huge leap. And it's a leap that most people aren't going to take, but that's okay because I think there's a lot of levels along the way. For me, I can always tell people right out of the gate, just define your goals. Most people will never sit down and define their goals. Do you want this to be side income? Do you want to make 500 bucks a month? Do you want to make 1000 bucks a month? Do you want to turn this into your career where only your income relies on fantasy sports? That's a little bit scarier. Um, do you want to become rich and famous? That's what, what honestly most people want to become rich and famous, which I can like I'm not sure that's a great goal. It, making 500 bucks extra a month, really great goal. Making 1000 bucks extra a month, awesome goal. Turning it into your career, lofty but very achievable good goal to have. Becoming rich and famous probably not going to happen in fantasy sports, but hey, maybe I don't know. Maybe 
fantasy celebrities become celebrities in the future. We'll wait and see on that. So defining your goals here. And um, the first two are very achievable. Side income, turning it into a career. Most people will not actually take the leap uh, to leave their day jobs, which I don't think is not admirable, um, considering the fact that most people have families and there's health insurance. There's just a lot of barriers to people saying, hey, I'm an accountant. Now I'm going to be a fantasy golf content creator. Like there, there's a million leaps that you have to take to get from point A to point B that most people aren't going to do it. And that's okay. I can probably name on one hand people who cover golf, fantasy golf full time. And that's the only thing they cover. They're not talking about other sports. They're just, it just doesn't exist. It, it does not exist. So that's okay. And there's a lot of very successful people who are doing it on the side or allocating 30% of their time to or 40% of their time to. And then I personally know a bunch of people who are trying to figure out, hey, should I make the leap? Should I, should I take it? Um, the problem with defining goals, or not the problem with defining goals, but the natural next step is, is de defining your expectations. How much, how much time do you have to allocate to fantasy sports as a career? Realistically, if you're working a 40-hour-a-week job, uh, are you going to want to come home on nights and weekends and grind fantasy sports? Maybe. Uh, most people would say no. I think that most people would be willing to allocate eight to 10 hours a week, right? Some hours on the weekend, and you also get maybe an hour or two a night, maybe after you put the kids to bed. That's the most realistic. So, so 10 hours a week. What do we do with 10 hours a week? 10 hours a week is simultaneously a ton of time and not a lot of time at all, right? When other people are out there putting in 40 hours or whatever it might be, but if you're giving 10 hours and someone else is giving one hour a week, like we're already off to the races. So how much time can you actually allocate to this? And when you have the ability to allocate it, are you making the best use of your time? So I'll give you some tangible examples in a second, but um, I generally get two types of messages. I get message one that says, Rick, I want to do what you do, or I want to do what I saw Matthew Barry do, or what I saw so-and-so do. What tips and tricks do you have for me? I get those messages and I always respond, hey, here's a couple of ideas. Good luck. Then I always get an email that's generally 30 days. It's always 30 days later. It's a month later. Hey, I ha it hasn't caught on yet. Uh, I'm not sure how to get more people to listen or how to get more people to watch or how to get more people to read my stuff. It just hasn't caught on yet. I I'm, I'm thinking of giving up. What should I do? This is not a 30-day plan. If I were to if I were to put a rate on it, like ninety percent of people give up on this in in thirty days. I guarantee it. Maybe more than that. Just from the messages that I get, there there is a time where you are going to write things. Uh, you're going to speak into a microphone. You're going to sit in front of a camera, and no one is going to hear it, and no one is going to read it potentially for a long time. And I think we're in a world now where it's a lot easier to get new eyeballs. It's a lot easier to garner new attention than it ever was before but like there's a realistic chance no one ever sees your stuff for a long time i know per no i've wrote articles every day i did youtube videos every day i made podcasts every day and no one watched it for months like months and months and months and it's demoralizing right like why am i doing this what is happening here like what which i don't know why i kept going i guess because i just enjoyed it but that is a very difficult thing to get over but it's going to happen. There's just no immediate level of success. I, I don't. I don't know how that would come about. There's not. A, there's not a viral strategy in this, right? Like there, there's no viral strategy to becoming 
a full-time, having a full-time career in fantasy sports. Um, so people always say, I want to start, but I don't know where to start. Okay. Very simple. Play to your strengths, play to your passions. Uh, if your data is, if your background is in data, stick to data. If your background is in visualization, stick to visualizations. If you're really good and comfortable in front of a microphone, let's start with podcasts, right? If you can set up a, a decent background in a closet and uh, you can talk at a camera, maybe let's start a YouTube channel, right? Play to your strengths. Um, if you are uh, someone who grinds in Excel spreadsheets because you're an accountant, let's talk spreadsheets, right? So start, start with your strengths. Uh, personally, for me, the background being in big data, it was very natural for me to start with big data. And it was very uncomfortable to try to make a YouTube video talking through that data. And it was very uncomfortable to speak, in through a, speak into a microphone. Go back to May 2015, Rick Run Good YouTube channel and be horrified at the types of things that made it onto that channel. It's, it's, it's heinous. It's horrible. They're still there. Go look at them. Uh, but I feel like I've made improvements in that in that area every single day. That's the goal, right? Get 1% better every day. What are you passionate about? If I'm asking you to do this for every day for six months, you're going to have to be passionate about it. So what are you passionate about? Whether it's a sport or a facet of the sport. What I would encourage you not to do is just don't like, let, let, let me, let's play the don'ts game. Uh, don't give out picks. It's unsustainable. It'll never be successful. Um, and don't do the same thing as everyone else. If you are going to create a fantasy football podcast for DFS, and you're going to start at the 10 Ks of quarterbacks and work your way down and then do running backs and then do like, you're, it's not going to be successful. Not because it's not good, not because it's not better than a lot of the things that are already out there. There's just no way for you to gain enough traction. What are potential targets? PGA Tour. Golf is very much in the top of the third. What's going to happen in the future of golf? We don't know. The European Tour, PGA Tour, Live Golf. We have no idea. That's good for people trying to get into it right now. I've seen 500 new golf podcasts and new YouTube channels created in the last year. That's okay. There will be winners. There will be losers. And there will be people that start now and end up being very, very successful. You are not behind the eight ball on the PGA Tour. Come on in. The water's fine. Join me. If I was starting over, combat sports, MMA, is there a lot of data available in MMA? Is there a lot of high-level analysis available in MMA? Probably not. F1, F1 internationally, massive market. Now, finally, just getting popular in the United States. Wait until ESPN redoes this TV deal and F1 is available constantly, right? And there's, there's already... Prop markets, there's already betting markets, there's already fantasy markets, there's already, the infrastructure is already there. It's been proven in every country. Become an F1 expert. Find something you're passionate about. And you don't even, it, I, you know, I always lean towards data and analysis because that's, that's what I do, right? That's my strengths. That's my passions. You don't have to do the same thing. You also don't have to even be good at what you do if you're entertaining. Pat Mayo is both. But he has very clearly, I mean, he said it a thousand times. You know, don't take my picks. I stink, right? You're, like when, when, I, when most people tune into Pat, they're getting the analysis, they're getting the stats, they're getting the information, but they're there for the entertainment, right? It's entertaining. That is a subsection of this universe that needs to be filled. That's not really being filled by a lot of people. But you can't 
not be entertaining and try to be entertaining. You can't not be good with data and try to be good with data. It's weak. It'll never work, but it's okay because there's a lot, there's lots of different paths to get there. When you're trying to figure out what you're going to do, um, most people don't understand what their product is. What is your product in fantasy sports? Covering a sport is not a product. If I tell someone I cover a sport, like that's not a product. If I say I cover golf for a living, how? Is someone paying me to do that? Okay, then I have a career, I guess. But like just talking about it doesn't make it a product. What are you actually selling to people? In my, in my universe, it's access to a data website. I understand that is not going to be available for everyone. Uh, but is a podcast a product? Sure. Is a YouTube channel a product? Absolutely it is. Is uh, selling a cheat sheet that you email people from a Google Doc a product? 100%. These are all products. They're all services. And understanding what yours is, is like step number two in the whole thing. Um, there will be no substitute for quality here, right? Like there will be no, like you could, you could be the worst person in front of a camera. If you have great information or you have a great product, you have a great service. Success is on its way. When you start to consider where you fall in the greater scheme of things, I believe the riches are in the niches, right? Although I think it's pronounced niche, but that doesn't rhyme as well for my saying. So the, the riches are in the niches. Uh, there's a guy who just does weather for fantasy sports and for sports betting because he's a meteorologist. I don't expect you all to be meteorologists, but but that's that's the idea. Be the best at this. Um, you know, there is... Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't it be interesting if there was um, an injury aggregation for golf or a news aggregator? Or really anything, just whatever it is that you can specialize in, props, first round leaders, jock market, all of these alternative avenues that are available to you that people are not covering, right? When 90% of people are all doing the same thing, you should not be doing that. When myself included are going through golfers from $10,000 down to $6,000 on a Monday DFS show and a Tuesday betting show, and a Wednesday live chat, you should probably not be doing the same thing. You should be doing something different. Is there a space for a Wednesday night live chat, like a last minute tinker? I believe so, right? When when Andy Lack came on to rickrungood.com, we sat down and said, like, what, what is there, what, can, what gap can we fill in this industry, right? What need is out there? And there's a constant game in, in content creation where, and I'm, I'm part of it, when salaries come out on Monday, it's a race to be first, right? Because we want this content to live as long as possible. I want it to live from Monday morning till Thursday morning, and I want people to be able to watch it for three and a half full days. No one wants to be the person who has content that lives for six hours because they created it on Wednesday night. However, if you're the only person doing it, and you're doing it the best, that is when the data and the information is most actionable. It's when it's the most valuable. It's when people will open up their wallets and actually pay you to do it. So when Andy came on to write articles, we said, okay, what are the, what are the two most valuable things? Yeah, you could write, you could write your pl favorite players by tier, or you could just do, like, you could do buy low, sell high. You could do the same thing as everybody else. What could we actually do that's different? And what we settled on for Andy was 
um, like a Monday in-depth course preview, right? Where all you're doing is describing every square inch of this golf course and how it is going to pertain to lineup making or to bets. That, that needs to be filled. Let's start there. Then a Wednesday kind of like last minute final thoughts piece where, okay, we've consumed everything else that's going on in the week. We've got ownership at this point. We have the ability to kind of take what happened on Monday and Tuesday and early on Wednesday and then use that moving forward. That's a very actionable, valuable article. That's why it's behind a paywall, right? Because because people who want it are going to get access to it. If you can provide people with very actionable, very valuable information, they will pay for it. And the best part about the internet is you don't need that many people to pay you to do it, to make it a career. More on that in, in just a second. So find something that is, uh, I mean, I keep going back to F1. I, I think it's such a perfect example, right? Because you've got an international sport that's about to become a very American sport. They travel around just like golf, right? What, 20, 28 times a year, something like that. Each track is different. I imagine, I have zero knowledge about F1. I imagine that in five years when I'm routinely betting F1 and I'm making fantasy lineups for F1, I'm going to want to know the differences between the tracks, right? I imagine they're not all the same. They're all different configurations. Some run faster than others. Some have longer stretches than others. I don't know that, but I will be seeking out someone to tell me that. I'll be seeking out F1 YouTube channels to tell me what the track is like and who successfully has good at this, who, who has good information at this, or who has a good history at this track. I'll also be seeking out a, uh, I guess, I don't know, whatever day they do a practice round. They do, they do the practice run, then they do the race the next day. I don't know if it's Friday and Saturday or Saturday and Sunday. Let's just assume it's Saturday and Sunday. I will also be seeking out someone on Saturday night to tell me the results of qualifying and the results of practice to tell me, help to help me decide what's going to happen the next day. I will be seeking that out. I don't know if that exists. It probably does, but it hasn't existed enough uh, to a big enough point to get into my ether yet. So those are the types of things that, are va- that, I, that I think will become valuable. Someone recording a field preview on a Monday for F1 will probably not be as, as valuable, although there will be a huge market share for that. It's always a little bit scary to uh, ask people to pay you to do something. It's terrifying. I remember when people first signed up for my data website and I was like, why? Why, why are you doing this? right? Like you're paying me money for access to this. It's like, there's very much an imposter syndrome thing going on there where it's crazy to think that this work that you're putting out, someone is actually going to give you money for, but there's a lot of different ways to do that. For me, it's a data site. Patreon, Patreon. I mean, that didn't really, that wasn't big enough, I guess when I first started or else I would have done that. That's great, right? They give you a platform to release paywalled subscription content to people handle all of the payment side of things. You don't have to create your own website and you can share any type of content that you want. I'm sure they take a nice fee off of that, but like that right there, like the barrier to entry is so, so small. I think the next, uh, the next natural step for a lot of fantasy sports, you're already seeing a little bit of it in fantasy football. It'll trickle down into other sports as well. Are these just, just aggregators right? So whether it is injury aggregation, whether it is weather aggregation, whether it is um, other analyst aggregation, you see the worst of this on Twitter and apologies if you do this on Twitter, where it's like, oh, um, 
you know, uh, Rick said he liked Xander this week, and Andy also said he liked Xander this week. So that's two votes for Rick. And like, there are some, or the, two votes for Xander. There are some situations where that is valuable. There is a lot of noise in that. So wouldn't it be valuable if on Wednesday there was an email that got sent out to everyone that said, hey, here are some quotes. Here's a quote from Rick on Xander that provides context and provides information. Here's a quote from Andy. Here's a quote from Pat Mayo. Here's a quote from whatever, right? And just like make your own decisions. There's no, there's no real knowledge or information that even goes into aggregating something like that. It's just being aware of everything, taking the information, putting it all in one spot, because I will pay for that. I will pay for convenience. Charge me five bucks a month to get access to a newsletter that aggregates something for me, that saves me time, it saves me energy. The fact that this doesn't exist, or at least to my knowledge exists yet, is shocking. Tambo's tidbits, right? Tyler Tambellini, toe tagging Tambo on Twitter. And it's great for engagement. It's great for Twitter. Does his, his Twitter thread where he basically does something like this, finds little nuggets around the world of golf and puts them in a thread. If Tyler today charged $5 a month for that, and you had to super follow him on Twitter, or you had to sign up for his email list, he would have a thousand people paying him $5 a month. He'd make 60 grand a year off of it, right? 5K a month times 12. That's what he would make off of it. I have no idea if he wants to do that or if he's going to do that or if someone else has thoughts of it, but that is a very valuable, basically any Twitter thread should be a paid newsletter. And if that's all you were doing, if that was your main focus, right? Forget creating a YouTube account. Forget creating a podcast. If all you were doing was making 60 grand off of a email newsletter that because you're already listening to all the content that's out there and typing up quotes and emailing it out on Wednesdays, that would be amazing, right? What's, what's like your time to, uh, what's your ROI on that? It'd be pretty darn good. I also think like Kyle, Kyle Porter. Kyle Porter writes normal sport, right? Why can he charge $15 for a PDF to normal sport. It's so very on brand for him, right? It, it, it's in line with his Twitter account. It's online with um, everything he talks about. It's interesting. It's entertaining. It's fun. And he's the only person doing it, right? It, it's, it's so easy and brilliant. And he gets to charge 15 bucks on a, to, to send you a PDF. It's brilliant. Kyle, I'm so proud of you. I'm, like, it's unbelievable. I bought multiple copies for people. It's a brilliant idea. I love every aspect of it. The internet in itself is scary amazing if you're trying to get into this being your career uh, because you only need like a thousand people who care about you to be successful at this. And a thousand people on the internet is a very, 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 very small portion of the internet. Even when you start to get into the really niche areas of sport, of fantasy sport, of fantasy golf, of first round golf wagering, there's still many thousands of people who are there. And the people who have gotten that far down the rabbit hole are very passionate about it and are willing to pay you for your hard work. That's, that's why a thousand raving fans is all it takes to actually make fantasy sports a career. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that I generally see um, is that most people don't think about how to scale from day one. You should be thinking about how you are going to scale your business slash service 
or scale your time, your fantasy sports time from day one. So at the top of the show, we said define your goals, define your expectations. Most people who only have 10 hours a week to work on this, those 10 hours are critical, right? If that's all you have to work on this, you better be allocating them in the best possible way. So things that don't scale very well. Any one-for-one transaction that you are making for your time. Uh, I'm going to write an article. I'm going to be paid $50 for it, and it's going to take me an hour. Well, one hour is now worth $50, and you have nine hours remaining. So the most that you can make from that 10-hour block a week that you have to work on this is $500 because this is a one-for-one transaction. Not to say that you shouldn't be taking these one-to-one transactions, but they will limit your ability to scale. And also, I'll tell you from experience, it gets very overwhelming, right? You're writing three different articles. You've got deadlines at three different places. You got to keep everybody happy. You're feeling like you're running out of time. I, I get it. It's, it's not fun uh, and it doesn't scale very well. What does scale very well? Well, uh, YouTube scales very well, right? The amount of time that you put into a YouTube video, whether it's the same amount of time and energy, whether one person watches it or 1 million people watch it. Same goes for podcasts. You put, you release a podcast, same amount of work, whether one person or a million people. Um, selling a cheat sheet. And e- I keep going back to email newsletter. I, clearly, I believe that is the part of the market that is not being uh, adequately serviced. You write an email newsletter, I write one. No matter how many people read, it's the same amount of work for me. So that scales beautifully. And that means when you grow and you get more successful and five people, 10 people, 500, 1,000 people start reading your email newsletter, it's still the same amount of work to you and you are getting more money for it. It like makes total sense. Um, the other thing about email, I guess I'm really stuck on email. There are very few, okay, when you're talking about providing actionable, valuable information to users, email is one of the last ways that you can send a message directly to someone's hand. You can now send it to their palm, right? So this was, um, this was kind of going away, I guess, with email until smartphones. And then once you were able to get email on smartphones, it's like I can literally send a message that someone has withdrawn from the tournament to your palm. That's valuable. And people will pay for that service. Uh, there is actually, so I started uh, rungoodprops.com, which is a very standard dashboard for props that all it does is it's so simple, it's beautiful. It compares odds uh, for a prop to hit from one sports book and looks at what's available on price pick. That's it. There is, I know there is another, uh, I don't know if it's a service, but there's another group of guys out there who I actually think have a better product. Full, full candid transparency here. I actually think they have a better product because their product um, emails you every 30 minutes and shows you all the props that are available. And it shows you what the new ones are. Now, I don't know if they're charging for it. I don't know if they're just keeping it to themselves. I, I get emails about this stuff. Um, I think that's a great product. And I find that valuable. And I would pay for that, which means I know that others would pay for it actionable, sent to your um, sent to your uh, sent to your pump. So subscription services, uh, 
think about how many Netflix accounts, Hulu accounts, uh, Apple Plus account. Like I'm, I'm paying $9 a month to everything and everyone. I hate it, but that's also the way this all works, right? So being able to routinely and recurringly charge users on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis is an unbelievably valuable source of revenue. Uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say you start a Patreon and you are providing weather information for F1. Uh, Month one, and you're charging five bucks a month for that. Month one, you've got 10 people. That's all you've got. You've got 10 people, five bucks a month, you're making 50 bucks a month. Inevitably, some of those people are going to cancel, but for the most part, they're going to stay for, let's call it a year. Well, in month two, when you get 10 more people, now you've got 20 people. And and I'm only getting 10 more people in month three, but now I've got 30 people who are paying a month. 10 more in month four, now I've got 40, so on and so forth, right? It's I'm not constantly having to convince the same people to buy my service again. They're just paying for it in perpetuity because I'm going to be providing value and information in perpetuity. And even getting five new people to sign up every month grows very, very quickly. And it starts to really, I mean, I mean, it's like, it's like interest, right? Interest, interest in one month at a time seems like a very small thing. Interest rolling over uh, month over month and year over year is, is massive. It just compounds. And that's what happens here when you start thinking about subscription services. Um, things that also uh, scale ver- very well, affiliate stuff. So affiliate stuff's a lot harder because you have to kind of influence people. But again, if I make a video with an affiliate link in it, same amount of work, whether one or 10 people end up signing up or a hundred people end up signing up. Affiliates is, is a lot more difficult. That tends to be a later down the road situation after you've built an audience because building an audience is arguably the hardest part. So what are some ways we can build an audience? Uh, never, never more in the time of Twitter and YouTube has it been easier, that was in quotes, to build an audience. So let's think about this. Um, let's just continue with the newsletter scenario because the newsletter is actually kind of hard to get new people. Well, tweeting it out, right? Tweeting out snippets of it. Um, if you were, I'm, I'm just, I'm just giving somebody like a hundred thousand dollar idea here, create a golf content aggregator email system, and then take snippets of it, screenshot it, tweet it out and tag the person who said it. So don't you think that if I was, if you were running a, a golf newsletter aggregating business. And one of the 20 quotes that you had in there was, Bryson DeChambeau has no way of winning the Open Championship from Rick Gaiman. And you put that on Twitter and you tagged me in it. I would probably retweet it. Because I said it. I would probably engage with it and retweet it. You could piggyback off of these other, off you know, as you're getting started with, 50 followers, 100 followers, you could piggyback off of bigger accounts because you're doing a you're doing service for them too. Very very simple in the, in the age of in the age of Twitter. Um and then what you could also do is you could make past newsletters available. I mean, I I guess I'm stuck on the newsletter thing, but you get the idea. YouTube and Google are the two largest search engines in the world. Uh they are both owned by Google. So, highly encourage you to be involved 
one way or another. Uh, when people start a podcast, I always say, is your podcast on YouTube? And kind of vice versa. But is your podcast on YouTube? And a lot of times the answer is, is no. You don't need anything special. Grab a $99 webcam, record yourself, and put it on YouTube. Because at, at the very least, that helps with discovery. If someone types in Open Championship DFS preview into YouTube, they will be, they will, or into Google, they will be met with Google results. So obviously written results on web pages, and they will be met with results from YouTube. And if you are showing up there, that is generally, obviously very good. Even if they discover you and then they go and download your podcast and they only listen to you on Spotify, beautiful. It's all for discovery purposes, vice versa, right? Uh, if I have a YouTube channel and that's my business, there are some people who don't want to watch you. They just want to listen. It doesn't matter. Even for me, where my YouTube channel is highly visual, I often share my screen, walk you through data tools, show you stats, point things out. Um, it's highly visual. I get more listens than I get views on YouTube because some people just want to listen to it in the car, on their commute, or on the train, or whatever else. So having options is critical and here's the thing, same amount of work. If you create a YouTube video, all you do is rip the audio and post it as a podcast. I'm not doing anything special. I'm not doing anything different, right? It, it is, it's the same amount of work. We're using our 10 hours a week very, very wisely. One of my, this might not be an error, but I believe it's, it's, just, it's just my pet peeve and you can agree or disagree with this. Um, the natural instinct for people out of the gate when they're starting is to immediately devalue their product, right? So we've already said, what's your product? Is it a service? Um, are you actually selling something? It, what is your product? Because there is a level of imposter syndrome, out of the gate, it is natural to want to devalue your product by either giving it away or highly discounting it. So I see it, and it's not just people who are, get, who are getting started. People who are getting started say, I'm going to give it away for free because then people will be able to find me. Think about your own spending habits, your own buying habits. Have you ever saw something that was free and thought, wow, that's really valuable? Or wow, this must be the best version of something. They're giving it away for free. That has never happened. No other place in the world would you think the free version of something is the best version of something. Yet, there is a disconnect for people who are creating their own work, their own fantasy sports content, to want to give it away for free. Just slap it on a paywall. Charge, I mean, I'm not, I'm not asking you to charge a million dollars for something. Five bucks, 10 bucks. Uh, it's a very low amount, but it immediately gives your product value. And the value is what you say it is, five or 10 bucks, five or 10 bucks a month, right? Five bucks a month can make you a career, and that's a dollar and twenty-five cents every single week. If you're in football or in golf or whatever, and people are happy to pay it, but everyone wants to give it away for free. I promise you, don't do it. From my personal experience, I'm glad looking back, and I don't know if this was a conscious decision or not, but looking back when I started RickRunGood.com, I it was uh, it was actually eight dollars a month, and I had a payout wall on it from day one, and uh, never ever gave anything away. And for six months, nobody signed up. <laughs> that was fine. But the idea is also, okay, if you're trying to seriously do this, if you're trying to seriously have this be your career and you're giving it away for free, 
and you do build a loyal audience because you've given it away for free, how are you going to turn it into a career? Because when you go to charge the same people that you've been giving it away for free to, doesn't that feel a little wrong? Does it feel like a little bit of a betrayal of the people who have been enjoying it for free? I think it's a sticky situation. I see it all the time. I do not think it's a good way to start. The other thing I constantly see, and this is not limited to new people, this, there are very established businesses that do this that I cannot understand, is running a bunch of promotions. I get, like, listen, I'll do promotions. It's fun, whatever. Like, I do the one at the end of the year where you have to bet me for it. And whatever the winning score of a tournament's going to be, that's the discount. It's fun. It's very on brand. I'm happy to do it once a year. I get emails every day of the week that say, hey, Rick, I want to try out your product. Do you have a discount code? No. Why would I? Why would I have a discount code? Why would I actively devalue my product? I've priced it fairly. I've priced it what I believe is very, very fairly. If you don't want to buy it at that price, we're probably not a good fit for one another. And that's okay. We don't have to be a good fit for one another. Um, I see this all the time. What does it say? What does it say to your audience or potential audience if you normally charge $20 a month and for the month of July, you charge a dollar a month? What does that say? It says you're, you were vastly overcharging them before uh, and that your product is not worth anything more than a dollar. And anyone who paid more than a dollar is an idiot, right? You, I, I will never understand why this happens. It doesn't make sense. Just price your product fairly and stick to it. The final thought here is around growth. And this is kind of a... Um, this can go a lot of different ways and it's kind of a, it's kind of a big one. So you, you just grow in your own way. Slowly but surely growing is just fine. Not growing at all for a year and then growing is fine. Uh, never hiring anyone and only ever doing things yourself is fine. Hiring everyone and outsourcing everything is fine, right? There is a... I think there's a natural uh, pressure from most industry to say, if you are successful, you should grow. And in the way that you should grow, you should hire people and you should cover more and you should do more and you should offer more. And I can tell you that is not a, that that's fine. And that works for some people, but with growth and doing more comes more problems. Uh, comes more headaches, comes you having to change the way you do things. There is a, a very great feeling to just being, just being really good at one thing, right? Being really great at one thing. How often do I get emails that say, Rick, um, have you considered covering other sports than golf? Yeah, I did it. It stunk. I want to do this one really, really good. I want to be great at this. And yeah, could I allocate more resources now that I'm doing it full-time? Could I cover more sports? Yeah, of course I could. But wouldn't that take away from what my, what my main product is? Wouldn't that cause way more headaches for me? Wouldn't that be like, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. But there's a natural pressure to do that. I get questions, comments, and concerns about it all the time. So even as I've grown in fantasy sports, I'm still trying to stay to what, I'm, what I think I'm best at. Be the best at golf data. Uh, then create content around said golf data, whether it's in podcast or YouTube form. If I can solve that problem, if I can crack that code, 
I'll be successful. And more importantly, I'll be happy because there's nothing worse than not being happy doing something you thought you were going to be happy at, right? Don't start a career in fantasy sports because that's what you want to do and that's your passion and then then don't end up being happy in it. So um, that has been a, a conversation that's been very popular in the past. So I hope, I hope this is fairly uh, well-received here. And uh, if there are questions, obviously I'm always happy to help. You can always email me or you can, email's probably best. DMs on Twitter get lost and all that stuff. But um, if you want to email me, because I know this is, a time where a lot of people are looking to do it. People are working from home. They have access to their computer all the time. They might have more time than usual than being in the office. I know what that's like, right? I was in the office for 40 hours. Was I working 40 hours? Uh, I don't know. So you got more time. You got more resources now. And now's the best time to do it. I'll be your advocate. I'll be your supporter. Let me know. Okay. We'll get, we'll get back to golf previews another day. But I wanted to uh, make sure make sure to cover it. Open Championship, by the time you're watching this, has probably wrapped up. Cannot wait to see how it ends. And I cannot wait to see what is in store for us the rest of the way, not only in the world of golf, but in the world of fantasy sport. Uh, I wish you all the best of luck on this journey. I'm Rick Gaiman. This has been another episode of 300 Yards to Unknown, and I'll catch you next time.